It's nice to see everyone here for this completely non-controversial topic that I announced last week. <laughs> no, it should be uh, um, looking forward to a good day. Uh, okay, I'm not going to beat around the bush much. I'm not going to tell any jokes or try to get to, you know, try to ease things. We're just going to kind of jump into this. Um, like I mentioned last week, this, these are topics that I don't necessarily like talking about. I think this one is important because of the root of it. So we're going to be talking about the nature of evil today, and we're going to be looking at it in the context of what's going on in Israel, a lot of the misinformation, a lot of the, a lot of the very intentionally driven perspectives associated with it. Wow, I just got huge. Um, and I'm hopefully going to do two things. My goal t- today is to do, to do a couple of different things. I'm not interested in, con- in changing anyone's mind. If you're, if you're, uh, it doesn't make any difference to me who, who, who you want to support, what side you think you're on. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, it's not the point of today. What I'm hoping to do today is to open our eyes to something larger that's going on, something that I think is more insidious than you might realize. Now, there's a... There's a reality in the world that we live in that evil is real. There's a lot of people today, don't, they don't want to look at that. They don't want to take that into consideration. We don't like the idea that evil is real. Let's just put a couple things out on the table. Evil is real. Satan is real. Okay? Demonic forces are real. And guess what? The devil doesn't like you very much. You carry the moniker Christian. He doesn't like you. You embrace the Judeo-Christian faith in any way at all. He doesn't like you. And we are also told that there is a, there is a time coming, and I think that is, that is here to one degree or another, where those who are alert are going to keep their eyes open. And that the, the, the Scripture talks to us about these things, not to make you afraid of what may be coming, but to make you aware of what's coming. Our world loves to put phobia on the back of anything that they don't want you to be, be talking about, but the real difference is, there's a big, the, the, the reality is there's a big difference between a phobia and awareness. So let me g- give you an example. If I am standing on the highway and a tractor trailer is coming towards me at 55 miles an hour and I'm just standing there and I decide to jump out of the way, I'm not tractor trailer phobic. I'm pancake phobic. Okay, now granted, most tractor trailers just drive right over me. It's fine. It's just good. Just high five the bumper. Everything's good. No, I'm not stupid enough to stay there because I know what will happen if I ignore what's in front of me. Can I say that again? I know what will happen if I ignore the signs that are in front of me. And I want to talk to you today about very important signs. We're going to clear up some mis, mis, um, misinformation in regard to the topic on, in Israel because there's a whole lot of garbage going on. Uh, I hope you realize that if you're, if you're getting your news about Israel from CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, you are looking in the wrong places. You are not getting the truth. You are, you are getting a, a very select, directed understanding of what's going on. You got to go outside. Probably the two best places to get information about this, believe it or not, there's, a, there's a, a, an Indian news broadcaster. Uh, she's, a lady, she's, she's constantly talking about this. She's amazing. And what I found out was that there's a monstrous Jewish population in Indi- India, and they actually get along. Strange, right? 
That and directly from the Israeli Defense Force. They put out information on a regular basis. You need to be thinking about other things in the mainstream media, and I will help you understand why here in just a second. Now, evil is real. The devil is real. Now, here's the interesting thing. <coughs> evil comes in all shapes and sizes, and blatant evil and obvious evil is, is not that difficult to spot. We can resist that. It's really easy to, to resist blatant evil. But what happens when evil comes dressed with a pleasant face? It makes itself up to look good. And we think, no, I would, I would recognize it. Would you? 2 Corinthians 11.14 starts out this, says, No wonder, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if, uh, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. The devil himself and those who serve him can make themselves look as though they're angels of light. What does that mean? That could mean a lot of different things. Probably the easiest way to understand it is that the devil is the one who would put a knife in your back and then help you suture it up, telling you, we need to find out who did this. You understand what I'm saying? He'll steal your food and then sell it back to you at a, at a bargain price thinking he's doing you a favor and making you grateful for it. The devil can come dressed as an angel of light. And when I read things like this, I'm, I'm reminded that as Christians, we need to be able to see the difference between surface-level evil and under-the-surface evil. We have to dig deeper than what our, our emotions are aware of. Because if you base evil and good just off your emotional response to a situation, you're very easy to manipulate. You know, it's like the little kid who comes running in. My sister punched me in the face. Uh, you poor little girl, you ground, the little, you ground the sister. What does a smart parent do? Why did she punch you in the face? What were you doing? Remember stories of people coming to pick up their kids in, uh, uh, in, in, in kids' church. Two parents, one child, very, very special child. One parent would come up, my little angel, oh, the other parent would come up, what'd he do? What'd he do today? Well, what makes you think he did something today? What did he do? Okay, it was like, this. there's a difference. Got to dig a little deeper. Today I'm going to be talking about, like I said, what, what is going on in Israel. Israel. I'm not talking about this from a political or a social standpoint. It, it, it doesn't matter. Like I said, wherever you fall is where you fall. You have to stand before God and give an account for that. I want to bring some other things to your attention this morning. There is no way to adequately explain the complexities of the issue going on in Israel right now, so I'm not even going to try. The history of that conflict is so deep and so long. Any Westerner, by Westerner, I don't mean cowboy boots and a hat. That's not what I'm talking about. Right, Derek? Anyway, moving right. Um, but I'm talking about people in the Western part of the world. We have no idea what they go through. We cannot co uh, comprehend what's happening there, mainly because I can't even begin to tell, I, I don't even know how long it's been since there has been an armed conflict on our soil. We don't understand what is happening there. There are plenty of soldiers who understand what's happening there. They get it. 
because they're in the midst of that. Imagine being in a war that's lasted 100 years, but no one's actually ever declared war. That's where Israel is right now. And that's where they've been for the last, I think, 96 years. So in this conflict, we have and we will continue to see indescribable suffering on both sides. You're going to see it, you're going to see it on the Palestinian side. You're going to see it on the Israeli side. Actually, if you look at the news, you're going to see it only on the Palestinian side. They're not going to show you the Israeli side. <clears throat> and I'll say this plainly to start, just for the people who are already going to be upset with me. What is happening to the Palestinian people of Gaza and the West Bank is awful. Can I say that again? What's happening to the Palestinian people in the West Bank and Gaza is awful, and it needs to stop. Now let's switch gears. What's happening to the people of Israel is awful, and it needs to stop. There's violence on both sides. There are atrocities on both sides, although it leans one to one side a whole lot more than the other. There's death on both sides. The question is not whether or not the violence needs to stop. The question is, what is driving the violence? That's what I want to get to today. What is evil? What is driving this violence? And is it something that we need in this part of the world to be aware of? Because it may come knocking on our own door. I'm going to lead you to a conclusion at the end, and, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to preface this really, really plainly. The conclusion that I'm bringing to you in the end <coughs> is my opinion, okay? I'm not telling you at the end that thus saith the Lord. What I'm telling you is, is, but what I see and what I read, this is where this ends, okay? So we'll get to that. I'm going to put the cart before the horse here. I'm famous for that, but you know. <coughs> so let's deal with a few things here. Let's deal with a few claims against Israel. <coughs> First claim, Israel's, uh, Israelis are not the indigenous people. They stole the land. How many of you hear on the news, the Israeli occupiers? The Zionist occupiers of Israel. Okay, so let's, let's figure out how, how do we... Um, the claim is that the, the Palestinian people have been there for thousands of years before the Zionist colonizers. Now, is that true? No. There isn't a historian in the world who would agree with that statement. And it's because we have this thing called archaeology. And we can see who has been in that land for the longest. So let's ask a couple of questions, the same questions that we would ask of any people, people group, in anywhere in the world who is claiming that this is their land. Okay? What is the earliest mention of the nation of, of, of Israel as a nation? That's important. Just calling a land by a name does not make it yours, okay? What is the earliest mention of Israel as a nation recognized by other nations in that part of the world? What is the earliest recognition? Anyone know? 3,200 years ago. It's the earliest mention of Israel. It's mentioned on the Merneptha steel, a steel is basically just a stone monument commemorating some leader's you know, glorious battles and whatever. And they mention a battle that they won against a number of nations in this, including Israel, which they say they laid waste to. That's an early, <coughs> early king's way of saying, we kicked their butt. Can you imagine if we did that today? <laughs> How many riots would happen? 
if America put up a monument every time they went into battle and won, it would go over really well on the world stage, wouldn't it? This is outside of the Bible. According to the Bible, their relationship to the land is almost 4,500 years old, just to be clear. Now, this is, this is on this steel as a recognized nation. And there are multiple examples in archaeology of Israel as a nation in this time, in this region. The region, until the 11th, 11th 12th century, was always called Judea. That's what the region was called. Judea. Want to know how the word Jew came about? That's where the Jews are from for thousands of years. Okay, so what is the earliest mention of a Palestinian people as a nation in connection to that part of the world? 1967. That is the earliest mention of the Palestinian people as a nation in that area. And the funny thing is, most of the Arabs in the area, and I say that intentionally, the Arabs in the area did not want to be called Palestinians. Because the name Palestine was given to the region by Rome in, uh, I think it was AD 130, because they, they base, uh, basically what ended up happening is, I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. They, they, they destroyed Jerusalem, and then there was a rebellion in the Jewish people. The rebellion failed, and, the, and Rome said, all right, we've had it. Not only are we going to wipe you out, we're going to change the name of your country to Syria, Palestina, Syrian Palestine. It was given to the region by colonizers. European colonizers named it Palestine. That's why they didn't want the name. Roman Empire ruled everything. <clears throat> After Rome fell, it was run by the Ottoman Empire. Little arrows pointing at where Israel would be. Long story short, after World War I, the Ottoman Empire fell. And the region which was under strict Islamic faith, that entire region was under strict Islamic faith for centuries, was divided by what was called at that point the League of Nations, and that our modern UN, to Jordan, Syria, Iraq, and Israel. None of those nations existed until after that. All those nations were created by the same governing body that created the nation of Israel. Funny how no one is disputing their nations. Now, ineb inevitably, someone is going to say, that's not true. You're, you're, you're making it up. This is, this is a lie. They have always been there. Um, I'm going to put forward the same challenge to someone who's willing to take the challenge. If they really want to prove me wrong, I, I will admit it in public if you can find it. Here's a few things that you can do. Find me a Palestinian coin, an ancient Palestinian coin. Find me an ancient Palestinian treaty between them and other nations. Find me any archaeological site in that region that is dedicated to the power of the Palestinian people. They don't exist. They don't exist because the Palestinian, uh, Palestine was never a people group. The term Palestine basically was a regional de uh, designation. It's like us saying the Midwest. It was never a people until Yasser Arafat decided to start calling everybody Palestinians. Right around the same time, the PLO was, uh, uh, came into power. Anyone know what the PLO is? 
It's a terrorist organization. Terrorists started taking up the name given to them by European colonizers in order to drive the European colonizers out of their land. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Now, in 1917, the Balfour Declaration was given and it was, was, was put out in the Balfour Declaration. States Israel is going to be given this land, uh, from, basically from this day forward, it's the end of, end, of, end of World War I. This is going to be Israel's, Israel's land. We know this is Israel's land. This is their historic land. They're going to come back and make this, uh, make this their, their, their nation. 30 years later, it finally happened. Now, I want you to understand something. There was no significant conflicts between the, the, the native Israelis who have always existed in that region. That region has never been void of an Israeli presence, ever. There's always been a significant Jewish presence in Israel. They lived side by side with Arabs, with no significant issues, until 1947. In 1947, the UN uh, um, basically said, we now recognize you as a nation state, and then a civil war broke out. It was the War of Independence for, for Israel. Now, what people say is that the local Arabs did not want to live under Jewish rule, so they decided they were going to declare war. Here's the rub on that one. It was not the native Arabs that declared war on Israel. It was the Arab nations around Israel that declared war. And what they said, they put a call to the Arabs in the nation. They said, those of you who don't want to be involved in the fighting, get out of Israel so that we can kill the infidels. And then when we've killed all the infidels, you can come back in and get your land. That's why the Arabs were expelled from Israel. It wasn't Israel that expelled them from the land. It was their own people telling them to leave so that we can kill everything in our path and then you can come back. Now, if you're Israel, does that make you think, we have so many friends in this area? Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing. Those who left lost their land. Naturally. Naturally. The Arabs who stayed maintained their land, some of them to this day. Because Israel was, it's, this was not about land. This was never about land. When they divided the country up, <coughs> excuse me, in the, with, with the two-state solution, um, basically, boy, I'm really behind on my slides. Basically, this is, this is what it looked like. That 48% one, that's what the two-state solution originally looked, at, looked like. That little white spot in the center right there, that's Jerusalem. It was set aside to maintain the places of worship for all, all uh, different denominations and faiths. It was not going to be strictly Jewish-controlled. It was going to be UN-controlled, and all people who claimed religious um, uh, a connection to the area were welcome in the area. The Jews said, absolutely. The Arab countries in the area said, death to the Zionists. These are the same people who lived side by side with them for centuries without issue. Why start a war now? Why start a war now? It was not about land. It never has been. In the region, 800,000 Jews were forced out of their Arab homes from the nations around them. And so they fled as refugees to the only place that they could. They fled to their homeland, Israel. Israel won the war. <coughs> now, here's the interesting thing. November of 1947 is when the fighting broke out. 
It was May in 1948 when the Israeli Declaration of Independence was written. I want to read you a couple of parts of this. Now, keep in mind, all of the Arab nations, actually, I think it was, <coughs> it was either three or five of the Arab nations um, um, in the region or the, who declared war on them. In November, in May, this declaration was put out. Listen to what, they, what, what Israel says for this. This is from the Israeli Declaration of Independence. You can go to any website and look it up. This is what it states. The state of Israel will be open for Jewish immigration for the ingathering of the exiles, and it will foster the development of the country for the benefit of all its inhabitants. It will be based on freedom, justice, and peace and in, uh, uh, as envisioned by the prophets of Israel. <coughs> it will ensure complete equality of social and political rights to all its inhabitants, irrespective of religion, race, or sex. It will guarantee freedom of religion, conscience, language, education, and culture. It will safeguard the holy places of all religions, and it will be faithful to the principles of the Charter of the United Nations. Listen to it as it goes on. We appeal in the very midst of the onslaught launched against us now for months to the Arab inhabitants of the state of Israel to preserve peace and participate in the upbuilding of the state on the basis of full, listen, and equal citizenship and due representation in all its provisions and permanent institutions. We extend our hand to all neighboring states and their peoples in offer of peace and good neighborliness and appeal to them to establish the bonds of cooperation and mutual help with the sovereign, uh, with the sovereign Jewish people settled in its own land. The state of Israel is prepared to do, uh, to do its share in a common effort for the advancement of the entire Middle East. This was after the nations declared war on them. Israel is still saying, we want peace. We want to live side by side with you. What land do you want? Take whatever you want. When they divided up um, the two-state solution initially, Israel said Palestinians can take the best of the land. We will take the swamps and the desert. And that's what they did. That's why Israel is one of the leaders in the world in irrigation, in building in places where no one wants to build. Because that's what they had to do. It's kind of interesting when you think that the God-fearing people looking at two options told one half, you take the best land for yourself and I'll take this land. Doesn't that sound very Abrahamic? (coughs) So in short, really simple. Did Israel steal the land? No. Are the Palestinian people the only indigenous people in the area? No. Israel has been there for over 3,500 years, and the UN initially recognized that. Now, have there been Palestinians displaced from their, from their homes? And honestly, homes that their families have had for generations? Yes. Has Israel been especially in recent years, less than kind to some of the Palestinian people? Yep. Absolutely. Can't deny that. It's, it's right in our face, but that's not the question. The question is, was it their land the whole time? Yep. It always has been. You go back to your Bible and you find out exactly why it's their land. It's because God gave them that land. The only thing that changed in that region... 
when Israel was recognized, was an Abrahamic faith was going to establish permanent residence in the area. That is the only thing that changed in that region. The region that has always been under strict Islamic control. The only change was that an Abrahamic faith was now going to have a permanent foothold in that area. That's why they went to war. All right, let's keep moving on. Claim number two, Israel is oppressive and it hates the Palestinian people. <clears throat> okay, what do we mean by oppressive? Israel has also been called an apartheid state. Anyone who believes that Israel is an apartheid state needs to look up the definition of apartheid and then talk to people who lived in South Africa in the early 1900s, and they'll tell you Israel's not an apartheid state. It's not even close. Is part of Israel militarized? Yep. Is there a good reason for that? Oh, yeah. When people come across your border wearing bombs to kill your people, you, you, you kind of, you know, you guard things a little hard, more, uh, more harshly. But is, is, is Israel oppressive? Okay, so let's, let's check this out. If Israel is oppressive against Palestinian people, how many Palestinian people would be living in Israel right now? 1.6 million. 1.6 million people are living in Israel right now with all of the rights and privileges that other Israelis have. Let me give you an example. In, uh, okay, where, is, uh, where am I? Yeah. Oh, no, wait, I'm on the wrong, I'm on the wrong page. <laughs> in 2011, uh, the president of Israel... Okay, the president of Israel, uh, Moshe Katsav, was sentenced to seven years in prison for a crime of indiscretion, we'll say. The judge who sentenced him was Palestinian. So when people say, Palestinians can't rise up in the ranks in, in Israel, really? A Palestinian judge got to the point where he was ruling the, a court high enough to send the sitting president to jail. Uh, I'm going to push back on that one and say, I don't think so. I think people that live in peace, live in peace. And they have the, the ability to continue to do that. <clears throat> Was there an Israeli uprising when a Palestinian put their president in jail? Nope. You want to know why? Because they didn't care about the nationality of the person making the decision. What they cared about was that the president broke the law. Nationality of the judge didn't make any difference. Now, the border with Gaza and the West Bank very heavily monitored. And in the West Bank especially, there's a lot of stuff going on over there that, in my opinion, shouldn't happen. Israel's made a lot of mistakes when it comes to the West Bank. I think that's been a source of a lot of their problems. But I don't live there, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get to make those decisions. But that's where all the violence tends to happen. That's where suicide bombers, where, where parents will, will strap bombs to their kids and send them across the border just to kill a couple of guards because that kid is now guaranteed a place in, in, in paradise. They don't look at it as hurting their family. They look at it as they're a nation of martyrs and they proudly sacrifice their martyrs. That's their words, not mine, by the way. So yeah, the West Bank is very tightly controlled and Gaza is very tightly controlled because it has to be. But now check this out. When it comes to oppression of things you don't like, did you know that Israel is the only place, in the only place in the Middle East, in the Middle East, where the LGBT community can freely live? The only place in the Middle East where the LGBT community can freely live. Now, am I supporting that community? Nope, I'm just proving a point. When it comes to religious oppression, it's not Israel. Palestinian homosexuals regularly flee to Israel because if they don't, members of their own family will either kill them or have them tossed into jail. Now, 
in this message, there's so much connected with this. There's no way I could possibly put enough in here to, to justify a lot of things. So what I've done, uh, and this, this will happen a little bit later today, is I have an entire playlist of things that will be linked to the YouTube video for you to go and watch. And I'm, and I'm talking, like, it would take you a couple of days to watch everything <clears throat> if you watch 24 hours a day. There's a lot of information out there. And on one of them, I think it was Ami Horowitz who went to, went to Palestine against his producer's wishes and basically walked around interviewing people on the street saying, what do you think of homosexuals in Palestine? Gutsy guy. Uh, and all of them basically said the same thing. Oh, they're a scourge on humanity. I think my favorite one was, they are a ploy of the Zionists to weaken our people. In 2005, when Hamas um, first took over the government of, uh, of Gaza, one of the first things they did was they rounded up all the known homosexuals, took them to a roof, and threw them off as an example to everybody else. All the men, the women went to prison. The men went off the roof. And the interesting thing that I'm seeing today, and this isn't, this isn't something that's, that's not known. People know this. This is well documented throughout the world. Everyone, everyone knows this, and the, and the Islamic faith is not even, they don't even blink at it. They're like, well, yeah, yeah, we kill them. So, should, you don't? They don't even hide it. And one of the most interesting things that I've seen is when you look at the pro-Palestinian rallies, you got gays from Palestine? Are, are you serious? I started looking at this, and, and I, I saw another guy put up another picture of, if you're going to try to equate the, uh, the Careers for Palestine movement, he put up another picture, and I liked it so much, I had to toss it in. If you can't see that really quickly, that's chickens for KFC. <coughs> it's unbelievable, and the only thing that I can equate this to is absolute ignorance of the core of the issue. Now, if you want to protest for better treatment for the Palestinian people, I will help you. But to get better treatment for the Palestinian people, Hamas has to go. It's not Israel that's causing the issue. It's Hamas that's causing the issue in Israel. And they're proud of it. People from all walks of life are welcome in Israel if they want to live in peace. But if you don't want peace, I'll tell you what, people talk about being afraid of the American military. I got news for you. We are nothing compared to the fighting drive of the IDF. They are just, um, I'm not going to say brutal, I'm going to say efficient. This is an entire nation of people who know how to fight. At a certain age, everyone in Israel spends two years minimum in the military. It's required. Because if someone wants to invade, they're not dealing with the military that eventually gets there. They're dealing with every person in the country knows how to fight. Exactly. Exactly. I'll say this. Israel's problem is not with the people of Palestine. Israel's problem is with militant Islamic Palestinian leaders from mainly three places, Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran. Now, if you don't know, Iran is the one running everything. Hezbollah is an arm of Iran. Hamas is an arm of Hezbollah. 
Okay, Hamas, well, there's two things. Hamas is connected with, with um, uh, Hezbollah, but they're also an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. And it's important that we understand that. They're not a legitimate governing body. They are declared with themselves and through other governing organizations around the world, a terrorist organization that is, under the polit- that is running the political control of Gaza. The fighting in the, in the area is not about the land. Hamas doesn't even pretend that it's about the land. <coughs> The fighting in the area is because there is an Abrahamic faith that promotes freedom in direct contradiction to the dictatorial theocracy of Islam. That's the issue. How is it that I can say that and be honest? I don't have to say it. I can read it. From the Charter of the Islamic Religious Movement, a resistance movement, I'm sorry, this is the Charter of Hamas. This is published. You can look it up. If anyone wants it, I will leave it right here. I also have a cliff note version. And just so that you know, I went through and I highlighted the first few pages of everything that has to do with the destruction of Israel on religious grounds. Can everyone see the highlighting on this front page? Okay, let's go to the next page. Uh, let's go to the next page. That was all the cliff notes that were there. It would have been easier to show you the not highlighted parts. So listen to this. In the charter of the Islamic resistant movement, I'm going to read you a couple of parts. The first one, well, we'll look at this. This is Article 6. The Islamic resistant movement is a distinguished Palestinian movement whose allegiance is to Allah, whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. See the issue? <clears throat> this is a quote from one of Hamas's great martyrs. This is in the preamble to their charter. They put this in the preamble because this is a rallying cry for all the Hamas fighters. I won't call them soldiers. Okay? Soldier actually has an honorable connotation to it. I won't call them soldiers. They're fighters. It says, Israel will be established and will stay established until Islam nullifies it as it has nullified what was before it. In their own charter, the governing body that's fighting against Israel states, Israel will exist until we kill every single one of them. When you hear people saying from the river to the sea, they're not talking about freedom for the Palestinian people. They're talking about genocide to the Jewish people. So when I see people calling themselves Christians online, saying, help the Palestinian people from the river to the sea, I can't even imagine the level of ignorant hubris that someone has to have to make that statement. Hubris is bad enough. Ignorant hubris is worse. Because now you think you know everything, but you know nothing And what you're supporting is genocide. But I'm not going to get worked up. Stay stay even. Last claim we'll look at. You can't trust the reports coming out of Israel because they lie. The Israelis lie. The only news reports that you can trust are coming out of Hamas and Al Jazeera. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Let's look at a couple things. On October 7th, Hamas launched an invasion of Israel, killed over 1,400 of its people. They claim that Israel made up the numbers. It's not, not, that's not what actually happened. The atrocities that I can't even speak of that, uh, that, that happened that day, they're like, no, that didn't happen, that didn't happen. And all of a sudden, we started finding video surfacing. Not taken by other people, taken by the terrorists themselves. Using GoPro cameras that they had strapped to their chest to video the slaughter so they could use it for propaganda purposes. I don't know if they realized that if one of their fighters fought, fell in battle... That video is now the property of Israel, and they're going to use that, and they have. A lot of that video got into the hands of Gal Gadot. If you're not sure who she is, she was Wonder Woman. Okay? She's Jewish. She was a member of the IDF. So when people say, boy, as an actress, she really knows how to fight. Yep. She could probably kill you with her pinky. I'm just saying. She put together a screening of the unedited version of a lot of that, a lot of that video recently, and it was screened at the Museum of Tolerance, where a brawl broke out at the Museum of Tolerance. <laughs> she has come out in absolute support of Israel, and she doesn't apologize for it, because she knows what's going on over there. So the videos relate to Hamas lied. October 17th, there was a hospital bombed in Gaza. Hamas release, releases footage. Israel targets hospital. 500 people die. Hospital leveled. Then the sun came up. Hospital's still there. What happened was it was a Hamas rocket that misfired because they don't know what they're doing. Landed in the parking lot, killed 50 people. Do you want to know that there's American news organizations that still have not corrected their headlines on their websites? Israel trolled the truth. Hamas lied. Hamas claims that Israel has been targeting civilians. Now let's just get this right out. Has, has the IDF killed children in their war? Yep. Yes, they have. And they'll admit it. But there's a difference between targeting children and children being a casualty of war. When you're fighting a war and you park a tank in your living room, it's not your enemy's fault when your family dies. That's a tactic cowards use. Israel uses weapons to protect its citizens. Hamas uses citizens to protect, their, to protect their weapons. This is a roadblock put up by Hamas while refugees are trying to flee. Hamas has, has been and continues to corral its citizens into areas that are, they know are targeted, and they know they're targeted because Israel will, do, will drop pamphlets, they'll send out text messages, they'll send out emails to people in the area, they'll put it on the waves, we're going to be fighting in this area during this time, get out! And Hamas will keep their people in there because they want, mass, they want maximum casualties because it gets them international sympathy. Hamas is also using ambulances as tactical vehicles. So that when the IDF destroys the ambulance, they can say, look at these cruel Israelites targeting our wounded. I mean, the 50 caliber in the back of the ambulance is a kind of a giveaway that this was not an ambulance. But the world doesn't care. There's an arm of the United Nations called UNRWA. It's the arm of the United Nations that is specifically dedicated 
to the, uh, to the refugees of the Pal- uh, Palestinian refugees. Palestinian refugees are the only refugees on the planet that have their own UN department. Every other refugee on the planet has to go through the normal UN refugee uh, program. But the Palestinians have their own. Palestinians are also the only ones allowed to pass their refugee status down to their kids, their grandkids, and great-grandkids. So when people say 75% of Gaza is refugees, no, they're not. No, they're not. It's a lie being perpetuated by the UN, and they admit it. The organization UNRWA put out, has been, uh, a lot of the leaders of that organization, after October 7th, put out statements of support of Hamas, calling October 7th a glorious day, one that will be remembered. We need to build monuments to this day. Praise Allah for the death of so many people. This was so wonderful. From the river to the sea. This is a United Nations organization praising an attempt at genocide. But what's more important is that this is one of the quotes of the people running the organization in regards to the citizens of Gaza. Anyone who talks about taking refugee in Sinai is a traitor, and such people, along with anyone who tries to flee south, should be treated the way we ought to treat traitors. We move from Gaza in two directions. There is no third direction toward our country, to the east, or to the north. What he is saying is to Hamas, use the citizens who are trying to get out of the way for collateral damage because it benefits us. Israel knows there's no way for them to win that. When your enemy is willing to kill their own for propaganda purposes, there's no way for you to win. They blame Israel for the death of civilians in rocket attacks when they're launching those rockets from housing areas, from hospitals. And then when Israel fights back, they say, how dare you? And then the world goes, yeah, Israel, how dare you? When people get mad at uh, former President Trump because he said we need to get out of the UN, I'm sorry, he's right. The UN is a terrible organization. I want to show you a video clip of one of the leaders of Hamas talking about the safety of their own people. You're going to have to read the translation at the bottom because it's done in Arabic. Um, now, this is a news organization, not in Hamas, or not in, in Gaza. This is outside of Gaza because the leaders of Hamas aren't in Gaza. They're in places like Russia and Qatar, living in five-star establishments, living off of the billions of dollars from aid money that, by the way, part of that's your tax dollars, that they siphoned off for their own personal gain. They don't do the fighting. But here's what they say about their own citizens. البعض يتساءل وهذا سؤال رائج وشائع يعني من قام بتشييد 500 كيلومتر من الانفاق لماذا لم يشيد مآوي يلجأ اليها المدنيون خلال القصف نحن شيدنا الانفاق لانه لا نملك ما ندفع به عن انفسنا من القتل والاستهداف هذه الانفاق من اجل ان نحمي انفسنا من الطائرات نحن مقاتلين من الانفاق اما اما القطاع غزه فانت تعلم والجميع يعلم بانه 75% منه لاجئين واللاجئين هو مسؤوليه الامم المتحده في حمايتهم مسؤوليه الاحتلال في ان يقدم كل تبعا لاتفاقيه جنيف الدوليه ان يقدم لهم كل الخدمات وهم تحت الاحتلال
It's the responsibility of the United Nations to protect the people of Gaza from a war that they started. Now they're calling for a ceasefire. There was a ceasefire. Lasted until October 6th. This is not a war Israel wants. It's not a war Israel has ever wanted. But the problem is, I think, it, I think at this point, they've poked the beehive too many times. And now, I hope this comes to some sort of solution where there is a ceasefire soon. But at the end of the day, the people of Israel are mad. They are mad. And they have a right to be. Have they made mistakes? Absolutely. Could they have done things better? Absolutely. Do they have the right to defend themselves? You better believe it. And like I said, these people are, they're messing with the wrong military. Check out this map. This is the current Middle East and the religious distribution in that area. Now, Christians and Jews, easy to pick out, right? So just take those out of your mind. Other than the Yazidis, which is that tiny little red spot up there in the corner, all the rest of those are Muslim sects. Now, they war against each other. They kill millions of each other every year. No one ever hears about it because no one cares, right? Arab on Arab violence, no one cares about. It's just the Jews who are evil. But the entire Jewish population is more concerned about that tiny purple area right there. That tiny little area can't be allowed to exist. Why? Because it's an Abrahamic faith in the middle of, Islam, of Islamic rule. Israel shows the people of Islam a different path, a path that their leaders don't want. A path they won't tolerate. Now, does that mean every, is, uh, every uh, Muslim is evil? No. I, I won't say that. But they're also silent. They don't speak out against the violence. And the reason that they don't is because the leaders will come back on them. In simple terms, I'm, I'm not, I'm, uh, we're kind of done with that. In simple terms, uh, uh, I would break it down to this. Darkness will always hate light. Darkness will always hate light. Islam hates the Jews for the same reason that they hate us, because we refuse to submit to the rule of Islam. It's got nothing to do with land, and it never has. It's about Islamic control versus democratic freedom and Abrahamic faith. I'm going to close with this, and I'm going to promise you one thing, <clears throat> that when I'm ready... I will do a series on this, but I'm nowhere even close to being ready on this right now. But I want to show you where I believe this is coming from. I hesitated a lot about this. Still hesitant on it. But I want to show you because I believe that as Christians, we are supposed to watch. We are supposed to watch the world for signs. And I'm going to show you this, and you take it for what, what it is, if you look at it and you roll your eyes, it's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. But I also think it needs to be known. Why is it that Islam is the fastest growing religion on the planet? 
Why is it their, their, their control is totalitarian and it's never, it's never resisted? In any organization around the world that talks about human rights, they never talk about the atrocities of Islam. Revelation 13, 15 through 18, it says this, <clears throat> speaking about the beast at the end, Antichrist. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So it's convert or die. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark. Now listen, the mark or the name or the number of his name. Now listen to this last part. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for, his number, uh, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what these means. This is what, the, what that, that was actually come from. Okay, so these three letters, both Greek and Hebrew letters have a very interesting dynamic to them. They can be a symbol. Other than letters, they can be a symbol. They can be a name unto themselves. They also can be a number. Understand what I'm saying? All of these letters can be a symbol unto themselves, they can be a name unto themselves, and they can be a number. And it's those who take either the mark, the name, or the number. Not all three, any of the three, okay? Now, here's an interesting thing. In the Muslim faith, they have a symbol for the name of Allah. That's the symbol. I think, well, that, that doesn't look that, like that until you do this. That means the name of Allah. It's on their flags. It's on their bandanas that they wear on their foreheads. It's on the armbands that they wear. Now, the interesting thing is, so are a couple of other symbols. Look familiar? The mark, the name, or the number. It's everywhere you find them. Now, as I said, am I saying that every Muslim in the world is the Antichrist? No, I am not. I'm not saying any of them are. What I'm saying is there is something I think we need to pay attention to that is bigger and deeper than what we're seeing on the surface. And I think what we're seeing on the surface is the enemy tugging on our emotions by causing suffering among a people group while at the same time working in the background to create that very suffering. And I believe it's doing it because it was predicted to us through Scripture. There is an evil that will grow in our world, and that evil will control everything down to buying and selling, and your choice when faced with that evil is convert or die. Everything that I've studied in relationship to the end times in correlation to what the beast is points me. Remember what I told you in the beginning? My opinion. Now, people look for the Antichrist like it's a person, 
read through scripture, it's not a person. It's an idea. Antichrist is that which is opposed to or opposite of Christ. Opposed to Christ or directly opposite of Christ. Not a person. Sorry if you read the books, not Nikolai. It's not, it's not the way it works. Look at the world. Look at how it's divided. Look at how the ideology breaks out. It's hard not to come to a conclusion that I believe, I believe, that that which the Bible is warning us about, evil in our midst that will pretend to be good, staring us in the face, and the bulk of our country is marching for its benefit. And as the church, I think we need to know better. We need to be able to look at evil and call it evil. Help with the suffering, absolutely. We're, we send money over to help with the suffering. And by the way, the, the aid money that we send to Israel, they also use to help the Palestinians who are suffering. Here's something I guarantee you that will happen after this war is over. Israel will help rebuild Palestine. They'll help rebuild Gaza. It would never happen the other way. I'll end with this, I mean, with, with this, this idea. I think Ben Shapiro has it right. If, uh, if Hamas laid down its weapons today, there'd be peace and a two-state solution tomorrow. If Israel laid down its weapons today, there'd be a genocide tomorrow. That's the difference between this fight. We pray for the suffering of the people, but at the same time, let's look at evil and call it exactly what it is, evil. If you guys want some further study on this, I'm going to recommend you a book. Feel free to roll your eyes about the author. That's fine. Um, but this was put together by a group of researchers over, over a period of a number of years. All of the researchers that contributed to this book asked not to be named out of fear for their life. Okay? The only person who was willing to put their name on it was a person credited with authoring the book. He didn't write the book. Okay? But he was the only one willing to put his name on it. The, the book is called It Is About Islam. It's from Glenn Beck. Still available, like I said. Feel free to roll your eyes. I get it. He's a blowhard and a conspiracy theorist. It's fine. Don't discount it. I recommend that you get it so that you actually understand how deep this goes. Okay? That's the end of my conspiracy theory. Um, I'm going to jump out of this. And uh, if you have, and like I mentioned, the, the comments and stuff on this are turned off. Um, and honestly, on the Facebook side of things, I'll be deleting this video. We'll be linking it to YouTube so that it can be more tightly controlled because this is a sensitive issue, and honestly, I don't want to deal with it. I, I just don't. You're, everyone is welcome to their own opinions, and that's fine. I presented you with some information. You do with it what you, what you think, but an argument is not something I'm interested in. If anyone would like a conversation, I'm willing to have that. But it's going to be a conversation, not an argument. Okay? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you're continually doing in our lives. <coughs> I want to thank you that you, uh, you warn us about what's coming. You warn us about what's here. You warn us about the dangers ahead. And you give us the strength to face, face those dangers with courage, with dignity, and with honor. Father, help us not to turn a blind eye to the suffering of the people on both sides of this art of this confrontation. But let us also not be naive enough to call evil good and good evil. Help us to trust you that you are guiding this. 
And if we follow in your footsteps, we will be on the right side. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.